Hey, Razorback fans. Welcome to this week's episode of the Hogbeat Hour. I'm Nikki Chavanel here with Andrew Hutchinson. We're from hogbeat.com, the Arkansas site in the Rivals Network. If you're listening to this pod live on the airwaves and you want to make sure you catch all of it, you can hear the Hogbeat Hour on Spotify and iTunes as well after the show. Um, Hutch, the Razorbacks are already down in Nashville. It is the SEC tournament. Game one was last night. Vanderbilt uh, took it to A&M, and now they are moving on to the second round. Uh, Arkansas patiently awaits their potential opponent. Uh, Missouri and Georgia play tonight um, at 6 p.m., so uh, the same time slot that Arkansas will have on Friday gives them you know, 24 hours to – uh, you know, throw out the other scouting report that they did on whichever team they aren't going to play and get ready for that game. Um, Arkansas played both teams during the season. Um, so uh, they know what to expect. They should know what's coming. And although some people might say, you know, the SC tournament isn't as important as the NCA tournament, I still think there's quite a lot for the Razorbacks uh, to gain from a good showing. Yeah, I mean, you want to keep the good vibes going. I mean, uh, Dave Van Horn, it's a different sport, but Dave Van Horn mentioned something the other day about, you know, Louisiana Tech has been playing really well and uh, had a midweek game. And, you know, sometimes you want to keep playing. When you're playing well, you want to keep playing because it keeps the momentum going. And I think that really applies uh, to Arkansas and basketball uh, this week as well because they've won 11 straight SEC games. Uh, you want to at least have a good taste on, in your mouth going forward. Uh, obviously, you don't have to win the whole thing, I don't think. I mean, you know, look back at, you know, the 94 team. They, they, went, they won one game in the SEC tournament and then lost, I believe, in the semifinals to Kentucky that year before going on to win a national championship. And, and Arkansas as a program in the SEC has only won the SEC tournament once. Uh, so, I don't think it's necessarily a, a huge thing. You know, they've, they've, they're pretty secure with the three seed. Uh, there, there is a chance they could maybe fall down to a four if they go one and done and, and the teams around them also play really well and, and move up. But most likely they're going to be a three seed. I guess if they make a run and win the whole thing, make a bump up to a two seed. But I really see, you know, nothing they do in Nashville could really – impact you know where they stand in, in Indiana I think after seeing the SEC awards and how they all shook out with you know Justin Smith Jalen Tate Devo Davis Jalen Williams none of those guys making any sort of list uh, I think that winning the SEC tournament uh, beating Alabama once again to uh, you know officially win that little series versus the Tide I think it does a lot uh, for Arkansas's national legitimacy, and that's important uh, when you're talking about entering, you know, peak uh, transfer portal season after uh, the tournament. You know, Arkansas is going to want to land the top guys in there and and showing that they can go and win the SC tournament. And I don't have it in front of me. When's the last time Arkansas did that? Uh, so the only time Arkansas won the SEC tournament was in 2000. So it's been a while. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I mean, in a year where Alabama and Arkansas are both, you know, totally exceeding expectations, I just think that it's beneficial 
uh, for Arkansas to edge them out right there at the end. Right, right now they are uh, even uh, on the money line, 250 for both. If you want to throw some money down uh, for Arkansas before the tournament starts, um, not sure what happens to their odds going in the future. So th- these might be uh, as good as you can get. Um, so go ahead and, and put in a pick there. Um, Hutch, if you're Arkansas, which team do you want to see, Georgia or Missouri? It kind of depends on how you look at it. Uh, if you want the easier win, uh, then I think Georgia is your pick. Uh, Georgia is a team you already beat by 30 back in the very beginning of the season almost, in the conference season at least, and you know, that was at home. Uh, Georgia is playing better of late, so I don't think Arkansas would blow them out by any means, but it would be the easier matchup. Now, if you're looking to build your resume still and add another Q1 win, uh, you want Missouri to win uh, because that the Missouri is the better team. Uh, they finished higher in the standings. They were a top 25 team for much of the year, no longer are because they've kind of struggled down the stretch. Uh, but that's that would be the more quality opponent. And plus, you mentioned, you know, setting up a kind of a rubber match with Alabama potentially in the SEC championship game. Arkansas could potentially play a rubber match in three straight games in Nashville if it's Missouri because the two teams split those games. They would play LSU next, assuming LSU doesn't slip up. You know, they split those two games. And then Alabama potentially in the championship game. And if if you won all three of those games, you know, credit Alabama for what, what it did. Alabama had an incredible year won the regular season title. But I think if, if Arkansas was able to win kind of a rubber match uh, for all, against all three of those teams, it would really prove Arkansas is the best team in the SEC. So uh, in order to make that happen, you would need Missouri to win against Georgia tonight. The Wildcats, uh, they play um... – Mississippi State tonight, or actually this afternoon. So by the time you hear this, one of them will have already won. I just think it's funny that uh, Alabama has to play Kentucky in the tournament-type setting because uh, they have pretty good odds despite the season that they've had. So there's a lot of uh, faith in them getting it together just to play this you know, quick tournament. And I think they have – Kentucky has been playing better of late, and I think they blew out South Carolina to end the regular season, which, you know, big deal. Arkansas blew out South Carolina as well, but uh, that they do have – they still have talent on that team. They are better than their record shows. They just haven't really played – put it all together as a team. Uh, so it, it would be the most SEC thing ever if Kentucky, you know, went on a run and won the SEC championship in order to make the NCAA tournament after just sucking pretty much all season long and finishing with a a sub 500 record. A lot of people talk about, you know, how a a team might be, you know, suited to play in a tournament uh, style, you know, round robin deal, but Arkansas doesn't have to play as many games as some of the other teams. So that's already beneficial for them. Um, And I think that it does kind of fit Arkansas this year because they have shown that on any given night there could be a different leading scorer or a guy that brings the energy. Um, But I think the key is, you know, 
Moses Moody can't have a bad game. I think that that's uh, pretty much a given. If he's not, you know, knocking down shots, he's, he's got to be getting to the free throw line. So we've seen that he can do that. Uh, but, you know, they might not have Jalen Williams. What we're hearing right now is that uh, he'll be able to be in Nashville for the game, but because of the um, re-conditioning uh, period that you have to have between, um, you know, going off COVID protocol and actually getting back into action, you have to work out for four days, you know, increasing your activity. So uh, they might not have him. Uh, do you think that's going to be a huge factor or could it be potentially uh, like a rallying element for them? I think it will be a factor if Missouri beats Georgia uh, because then you've got Jeremiah Tillman to worry about. And yeah, you do have Justin Smith. You do have Connor Vanover for what it's worth. Uh, but can those those guys really do enough to slow him down? I'm not convinced. Uh, I think if you had Jalen Williams, that would make me feel a lot better from that perspective. Now, they seem to be okay without Jalen Williams against South Carolina and Texas A&M, but those were two of the bottom teams in the conference. Uh, so I, I, I don't know. I, I think they could use it as rallying cry, but they do have depth, as you said. I think that'll help, you know, in a, in a tournament setting. Uh, but, yeah, it, if they play Missouri, I would feel a lot better if they had Jalen Williams. What do you feel like the goal overall should be for the Razorbacks, like, in this thing? Obviously, you know, winning it. But uh, just from a, a team standpoint, I know they were talking about how they wanted to show people that, uh, they, you know, Justin Smith is an all-conference player. Um, maybe it says something about Eric Musselman, uh, who in a way was very much snubbed. He only got two of the AP's uh, 14 votes for coach of the year when um, I think he's done just as impressive of a job as Nate Oates, if not more, because of the way that he put this roster together in one off season with just one player returning who had played, you know, 10 minutes a game last season. Yeah. I, I think if, if you're Arkansas, me personally, if they just win one game, I think it's, it's okay. Like I feel like that would be you know, enough to where they, you know, keep the good vibes going and then maybe they need a kind of a little wake up call like, Hey, you know, we got to get refocused and ready to go for the NCAA tournament. Uh, kind of like the 94 team happened to them. Uh, also in, I believe, the semifinals of the SEC tournament, which would be, you know, one win. If that, that's where they would be for this year. Uh, I, it's, I, I keep kind of making comparisons across sports, but, I mean, it reminds me a lot of Arkansas baseball entering the SEC tournament. Dave Van Horn is notorious for not really caring at all about how they do in Hoover. Uh, he would never admit that, but it's just kind of how he treats it. They're not going to go all out to win that because they have other things on their mind. They're, they're focused on, you know, getting to a regional and then winning it and uh, getting it to getting back to Omaha. It's similar. It's a similar feel for the basketball team this year for the first time in my life or at least that I can remember because it seems like they're going to be at worst a four seed in the NCAA tournament and if you're a four seed 
that means if you just win the games you're supposed to win, you're going to make it to the Sweet 16, and that's something Arkansas hasn't done since 96. So I feel like you just need to, to get through the NC, or SEC tournament healthy and you know good to go. And, and I think if they win one game, uh, personally, I would be okay with that, happy with it, and uh, let's go make some dam- uh, make some noise in the NCAA tournament. It's honestly crazy how, looking back, how fast the season has gone by. Like right now, it's like crazy busy season with spring ball starting and baseball and recruiting and whatnot. But um, it's just flown by. And to look at all the different, you know, peaks and valleys of the season, uh, Michael Musselman, you know, tweeted out some funny uh, screen grabs of some tweets from this one particular fan who was having a meltdown, I guess, after one of the losses. And then, uh, you know, now is posting, you know, the, the most rose colored things that you could possibly post. And it's just, it's funny uh, how this season could have gone uh, one of two ways, but I don't think Musselman is the type of guy to let things fall apart. He just, um, he depended on the older guys on the team that he brought in uh, to keep everyone together. Uh, and it worked out. He was talking about that one practice that they had after the LSU loss that really whipped those guys into shape. It was either we get it together or this is not going to be a fun year for you. Do your best, uh, put everything that you have into it, or I'm going to make you, not want to be here. It felt like that's what he was basically getting across to them. Yeah, I think that was kind of a gamble uh, by, by Eric Musselman because it's not like this team, you know, for example, the Alabama team, they, they've played together for three or four years. They got a bunch of veterans who've been there forever. This team is basically brand new. As you said, only one player that really played significant minutes in, on previous teams was back in Desi Sills. Everyone else was, you know, newcomer, grad transfer freshman uh, sit out transfer finally eligible uh, so it it really was kind of a, a gamble there so you got to give a lot of the credit to the the players as well for for fully buying in and you know I think uh, this generation of athlete kind of gets a bad rep from the uh, older generation you know saying all oh, these guys are just you know they're soft and you know can't put up with that stuff they just all want to transfer yada yada but these guys, you know, put through a what sounds like a brutal practice. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall in that practice. Uh, they they didn't roll over and quit. They they came back and you know, they had the the horrible game against Alabama the next day out, but uh, they haven't lost an SEC game since then, so it must have worked. We will obviously have coverage of that game tomorrow night at 6 p.m. on Hogbeat. We also have you know SEC tournament threads going. So if you're bored at work. Uh, all day you know you can you can follow along with the action of what's going on over in Nashville but 6 p.m. tomorrow night get on Hogbeat uh, that game is on uh, SEC network network I was out at spring practice on Tuesday the first day we talked to Sam Pittman on Monday he sounded really really pumped to get back out on the field with his guys you know he's got four new assistants um a bunch of new faces, like 13 early enrollees slash a couple transfers. 
JUCO edition as well, um, but also a bunch of very familiar faces, guys that have been here now for years, talking, you know, Grant Morgan, Hayden Henry, uh, Ty Clary. Good to see all those uh, vets back for another year. There's 10 of them, I believe. So, um, I mean, this team certainly isn't lacking leadership now. Yeah, it's it's definitely a team that has a lot of old players on it. I think there's, I want to say actually 11 seniors who are returning if you include Sam Loy, the walk-on punter. I did. Uh, so, yeah, so that so that, that there are quite a few, and that is among the most in the SEC. Uh, so it, uh, they do have that leadership, and they were they were key players. I mean, yeah, you you got a few that are like you know Dion Edwards or you know the guys that aren't really going to probably factor in too much but then you also got a returning all-american and Graham morgan uh, that's going to be great you know you got davion warren uh you know he's still recovering from an acl injury but you know he's a, a guy that was pretty explosive and and tj hammonds came on really strong at the end of the last last year and maybe he can you know maybe we can finally see uh tj hammonds reach his potential with with the razorbacks so there, there are a lot of older pieces uh and i think that helps the you know kind of things go a little bit more smoothly uh, in practice whenever you've got that kind of leadership. Yeah, I mean, it certainly looked like they were organized, knew what they were doing, moving from station to station very smoothly. Um, still no music during drills, which is fine, honestly. I mean, you can hear what the coaches are trying to uh, teach guys up on. I was listening to Brad Davis uh, be a little, you know, loud with Jalen St. John at one point. Uh, kids looking good, by the way. I mean, that whole offensive line looked really good. I was trying to pick out which of the one scholarship players wasn't over 300 pounds by now, and I really couldn't tell. Uh, guys like Marcus Henderson, who last season um, had – more of a big tight end frame. I mean, he's got quite a gut now, which is, that's what you want. I mean, these guys aren't supposed to be pretty. So uh, lots of um, activity going on out there. We had the quarterbacks, obviously. That's what everyone was watching. Um, they looked like they were having a pretty good day. Of course, it's a lot of routes on air and stuff, uh, but Saw some big throws, at least like, you know, 35-plus yard throws. Uh, lots of targets to Traylon Burks that I was watching in particular. Um, Sam Pittman named K.J. Jefferson, you know, the, the current starter right now. And, you know, he took the first reps as we expected. Just a lot of confirmations on things that Sam Pittman had told us on Monday in terms of, you know, position changes and stuff. And so I was just – that's what mostly I was focusing on on Tuesday. Yeah, and I mean, I know a lot of people kind of made a lot about the K.J. Jefferson being named QB1 or whatever. I was – you know, heard some, you know, sports talk radio people talking about it and, you know, saying like, why, why would he even do this? It's supposed to be a quarterback battle. But, I mean – I think everyone knew going in, and I think you even wrote some about it, that KJ has an opportunity to really separate himself this spring because he, everyone should know he's the leader in the clubhouse right now. I mean, he, he, started, he started a couple of games now in his career, uh, had a lot of success against Missouri, uh, 
played more than, than Malik Hornsby. Hornsby got like two snaps all season as a true freshman, which is fine. He's a true freshman. Uh, and he had a couple other guys ahead of him. So uh, I, I didn't have anything wrong with Sam Pittman already coming out and saying like, hey, here's, here's our guy. Now, I would have something against it if he said no matter what happens, he's our guy. He left the door open saying if, if Malik goes out there or somebody else goes out there and wins the job, then that's who's going to be the quarterback. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously a very different situation this year than it has been the past couple of years. I mean, Arkansas has brought in transfers. Um, and so, you know, there's always a little bit of a battle situation, but there wasn't much last year with Felipe Franks. Like maybe some people were expecting KJ Jefferson to challenge him a bit, but not really. He only played when Franks wasn't available. But the year before that, you had two grad, grad transfers battling it out. So, there was that competition, but Arkansas, I mean, they're not bringing in four high four-star, five-star QB commits. So there's not really a battle to be had unless uh, there's that type of situation. You kind of expect uh, seniority and experience to, to win out. And that's obviously why KJ is there um, at the lead for now. Um, But I do think there's opportunity for other guys to make moves. Uh, Jefferson hasn't been, you know, the smoothest passer. Uh, He's maybe not 100% there with the touch, but it's gotten better under Kendall Bryles. And, you know, one more offseason, they got the um, bowl practices in. They didn't get to actually play the game, but they got practices in. Now they have spring ball with the whole summer and fall. Like, I think – he could be dramatically improved by the time the season rolls around. I mean, I was, in all honesty, completely surprised at how much he improved between his true freshman year and last year because whenever he came into the game against Missouri, when the news broke that Franks wasn't able to play and that it was going to be K.J. running the show, I mean, I even tweeted, I said, I don't got a good feeling about this. This, is, this could be bad. Uh, because I remember watching KJ in the, the very limited practices we got to see. You know, granted, it's not all the time, but he just wasn't that smooth of a passer. The ball wasn't, you know, as super pretty, you know, coming out of his hand. Uh, you know, there was a, a very clear distinction between him and Felipe Franks. And I was a little bit, little bit concerned. And I always knew that KJ was going to be kind of a raw prospect. I mean, I watched him play a game in high school and you could tell he was super athletic. He was at a small school though. Uh, He had potential strong arm, but needed to work on kind of refining his craft and uh, to see what he did last off season, you know, before that Missouri game, I think makes me really excited to see what other, what what kind of strides he can make this off season uh, before becoming, you know, the presumed starter in 2021 more of a battle than at quarterback is at running back. I asked Sam Pittman on Monday, um, does he think it's going to be a running back by committee type situation, which I thought would be the case because there are a lot of options, but he said, no, we are looking for the guy that's going to, you know, take over the role and really be the bulk carrier type of guy. And Traylon Smith did a really good job last year, but he was never really intended to be, uh, that guy, he was supposed to be Rakeem Boyd's, um, you know, 
even understudy. He wasn't really supposed to be a one-two punch type of guy anyway. So um, I think that they're giving the opportunity to anyone who will step up and take that role. They've moved uh, Raheem Sanders, Rocket, already over to the running back's room, like for good for now at least. Um, And they want to see what he can do with his legit linebacker-looking body over there um you know didn't play a ton of it in high school but I think he's got natural instincts um and then he just stands out from the other guys that they have who are smaller and um a little bit quicker but Rocket's got plenty of speed I mean they didn't give him that nickname for nothing (laughs) yeah that's that's uh a perfect nickname for a guy who's gonna be a skill player whether it be receiver you know since the move to running back but I really think Traylon Smith, he really, really impressed me last year. I mean, I, I was a little bit skeptical. You heard all these great things about him in practice. And, you know, I think the previous coaching staff referred to him as the scout team Heisman. Uh, so I was, I was a little bit skeptical of it. Uh, but, you know, he came out and ran for 700-something yards. You know, in a regular season, he probably would have been a 1,000-yard rusher. Uh, I think people kind of forget that he had such a successful season uh, that, you know, I, I think he's going to be the, probably, I don't know, if the featured guy. You know, maybe there is another guy that emerges that can be kind of a one-two punch type deal. But I think he's going to be the, uh, I, I personally feel like he's going to be the number one guy. And it's just going to be a matter of who else kind of emerges or how do they figure out how to use TJ Hammonds? Uh, how do they, you know, Rocket Sanders? And plus there's, uh, I believe AJ Green, right? He's he still he's has not a- here yet, but Javion Hunt's here already, and then Dominic Johnson. There's a lot of running backs now. So many, so many, and of course Dominic Johnson's kind of the the guy that sticks out because he's so massive. Uh, I think I, I would guess you know we don't we didn't get updated weights unfortunately on the the spring roster, which kind of stinks. Uh, but I would imagine he would be a guy that maybe lost a little bit of weight because uh, he was. I mean, he was built like a truck last year and so uh I couldn't imagine him being a running back at that size I think you know a lot of people have been like hey why don't we move him to linebacker and maybe that eventually happens but you know they're looking for a guy that's a different kind of style running back than a you know a Traylon Smith a Josh Oglesby a guy we didn't mention you know AJ Green Rocket Sanders you know who's going to be kind of that different guy that can get you the, the short yardage stuff I didn't see much of the uh, tight ends on Tuesday. Um, I watched, you know, the wide receivers, just kind of seeing where guys were lined up. They had talked about Mike Woods more in the slot, but I didn't really notice him there much. Um, I saw, you know, new um, additions to the room. Uh, Jaqueline Crawford, he was in the slot, of course. Um, And then Keetron Jackson and Jaden Wilson were split out um, on either side. you know, lined up out wide. Uh, Wilson was with the, you know, Trey Knox, Tyson Morris group, where I think he has the potential to make some moves in that group. I mean, that Morris and and Knox were kind of battling it out last season for for snaps. So I think that he has potential uh, to steal some there. And then Keetron Jackson, he's still coming back from a, a knee surgery, um, but he's lined up on the other side with Woods and uh, I'm trying to think of who else is over there off the top of my head. 
I'm struggling. But, yeah, I think he also has some potential there, but, you know, he's not 100% healthy yet, so that might hold him back a bit. Uh, the offensive line saw Tykeest Crawford in person again for the first time since he was a recruit, still a very large human being. Um, I think that he – they think he's going to be eligible, so – Obviously, he definitely has potential to take over at right tackle. Um, I think that's a very real possibility uh, given, you know, Dalton Wagner was, you know, the lowest graded of the guys that got a lot of snaps last season on that line. Um, and then Shane Clennon was snapping uh, at center to, you know, take that off of Ty Clary's plate, which I think is a great idea. I don't think it's super fair to him, especially after just like the onslaught of hate that he got after filling in when no one else could do the job. Uh, and now that he gets to focus on guard, I think that's really, really solid for him because I actually think that he has, you know, maybe a pro type future if he can focus on that position because he's graded out very highly uh, to people who, you know, have the eye for that type of thing. Exactly. He has graded out well as a blocker. Even when he was a center, uh, he graded out well by pro football focus. Uh, he struggled to snap the ball consistently. I mean, that's well documented. Uh, he has improved. It's not near as bad as it used to be, but still doesn't quite have the, the zip on it uh, that you'd probably like. Uh, but now if he's not having to snap the ball, who knows how good he could be as a blocker. And, you know, that, I'm sure that had to be tough on him mentally, uh, having to do that and uh, the criticism that came along with it. But he's a, a local kid from Fayetteville who chose to come back for an extra senior season. Uh, and I think get, having him focus solely on guard is a, a really good move by the staff. And I'm anxious to see how much, how maybe some, how well he can, how much he can improve uh, this year with, with only focusing on guard. I got a little bit of a look at the uh, kind of too deep on defense, but it looks very similar to where they were uh, to end the season last year. And I think that's by design. I think they want to start with what they had, you know, don't hurt anyone's feelings, get, give everyone their fair shot to move up or move down based on performance. Uh, so you had Ladarius Bishop out there opposite Monteric Brown, which was something that you predicted for sure um, after his performance against, I think it was Alabama. Um, you had Hudson Clark and Kari Johnson, two, you know, freshmen and redshirt freshman guys in the, the two group at corner. Um, we saw Zach Zymus. He was out there at safety slash nickel, uh, and we hadn't we just haven't seen much of him since, you know, he was a linebacker and just couldn't really put on the necessary weight, it seemed like to me. Um, and then uh, he had Miles Slusher back there. And they were, they were really talking up Simeon Blair on Monday. Uh, so excited for him, former walk-on. Yeah, Simeon Blair was a guy that kind of emerged last offseason in fall camp as a guy that was really good and obviously did well enough to, to earn a scholarship. And he's another in-state kid. You know, maybe he could have a future kind of like what we've seen out of Grant Morgan or something like that. So, uh, but I do think that there is a lot of really good depth there in that secondary. I mean, you mentioned, you know, Jalen Catalan, Miles Slusher, 
uh, you know, all the corners, Monteric Brown, Larius Bishop. I mean, you could conceivably have a starting secondary, especially if Greg Brooks is at nickel, uh, a starting secondary of all four-star recruits. And, and I don't know if that's ever happened at Arkansas, at least not in my memory. So that, that, would, be, that would be pretty awesome. For the defensive line, Sam Pittman confirmed they are still on the prowl for some uh, defensive tackle or end rushers in that portal, but um, a lot of the top prospects are gone. Um, it's really hard to sort through these guys and determine potential because there are a lot of guys who just like didn't give it much of a shot where they were and uh, decided to transfer early uh, and take advantage of that you know, one-time transfer eligibility that is very likely to get passed, uh, I think, next month or in May. So um, it's just – it's tough. I think they want someone who they know for sure is going to contribute, and it's just really tough to make those evaluations with very little um, tape or, you know, interaction with these guys. Xavier Kelly was one that they brought in who they thought maybe would contribute even more than he did. I think he was about what you would expect from like a third string Clemson guy, maybe even better than that. Um, but they want someone who could start right away and there just aren't that many guys out there. Yeah, it's really tough. I mean, you have to weigh, you know, Xavier Kelly is a perfect example. He was a highly touted four-star recruit coming out of high school, went to a big program, didn't get to play a lot. Uh, so you bring him in like, hey, maybe he just got buried on the depth chart. And uh, unfortunately, he didn't maybe have as much of an impact as some people expected. So, I mean, I remember people when he committed like, all right, now we've got our starting defensive tackle. Who's going to start beside him? Like that ended up not happening. He couldn't beat out Isaiah Nichols uh, to, to be that starting, starting defensive tackle alongside Jonathan Marshall. So uh, are you going to bring in somebody like that and hope that he pans out? which they occasionally do, or, you know, maybe you find somebody who played a lot and put up really big numbers at a smaller level uh, and hope they can produce at the SEC level. And sometimes that doesn't pay off. You know, we've seen it at the, you know, at, in college basketball, you know, it's really hard for those guys to transfer into a high major program, power five program and make the same impact. So uh, it's tough. Uh, I, I, it would have, I would, I don't think anybody that's in the portal right now is going to be someone that they would target. I think if there is somebody who emerges, it'll be after spring ball finishes up. Uh, I was talking to our rivals portal person the other day, and he said it's been very, very slow the last couple of weeks. And he's anticipating the portal to get much more active as spring ball concludes across the country and people kind of know where, where they stand on the depth chart. Regardless of whether they add someone or not, I think a lot of people uh, took it as good news when Sam Pittman said on Monday that they were looking to, you know, adjust their scheme and maybe rush more guys at the quarterback so that their defensive linemen aren't in so many uneven situations against, you know, offensive linemen. So that is very positive news and much needed because they did grade out last with, uh, I think Vanderbilt in uh, pressure last year, despite having Jonathan Marshall, one of the best defensive tackles in the conference. So a uh, lot of work to do there. Hutch, the Razorbacks are the consensus number one team in the nation, not just 
you know, almost everybody, everyone now thinks the Razorbacks are the best team in the nation. Uh, it seemed like the SEC just dominated this week's rankings, actually. Yeah, if you look at the polls, there's six of them. There's a lot of them in, in college baseball. Uh, five of them have uh, the top five being SEC teams. And then the other one has uh, someone else at number five and then the fifth SEC team at number six. So the SEC is just absolutely stacked. It is every year. People always make a big deal about how tough the SEC is in football, but it ain't nothing compared to baseball, in my opinion. It is just absolutely stacked. Uh, so to be uh, number one in the country is definitely a big deal. However, I don't think Arkansas will be able to maintain that number one ranking uh, throughout the season because they're just going to go through an absolute buzzsaw in SEC play, which starts next weekend. But uh, before we get to SEC play, uh, there is one more non-conference series. They are hitting, hitting the road. Uh, first true road series of the season. They did hit the road at the beginning of the year for the uh, tournament in Arlington. Uh, but now they're going on the road to play at Louisiana Tech. And uh, Louisiana Tech is a very, very good team. And uh, I made the comment to somebody the other day that I would be very surprised if Arkansas came back to Fayetteville with its perfect record intact because uh, it is a, a very good program that seems to be on the rise uh, in their conference. I believe it's Conference USA, not 100% sure on that. Right. So uh, that, that it's going to be a challenge, to say the least. I mean, they've got some pretty good starting pitching, some, a really good lineup that actually has a, a higher batting average right now than Arkansas, uh, and there are a bunch of old guys that are you know, seniors, COVID seniors, uh, that have been around the block a few times that are, are going to be uh, pretty tough to beat you know, in, their, in their home ballpark still uh, in its first few games of, of being open since it's been renovated. I know that the game is not on SEC Network, Hutch, so how can people watch? We will have coverage, of course, if you don't have access to these outlets. Yeah, so you can watch it on TV if you have cable uh, on Cox Sports Television. I don't know what all networks or uh, pro, uh, cable providers have that channel, uh, but uh, that is an option for TV. Uh, but if you don't have that, if you're like me and only have streaming, uh, it will be on ESPN Plus, which is the subscription service for ESPN. It only costs about $6 a month, so you don't have to worry about doing Flow TV, having to pay for $30 for one month or whatever. Honestly, $6 a month this time of year for ESPN Plus is a heck of a deal. And if you have kids or family or whatever that like Hulu or Disney Plus, you can also do the package with those three. And I think it's only like 13 bucks a month to get all three of them. Uh, it's basically and like- And then if you want to subscribe to Hogbeat, that's yes. just an extra $12 a month. And then you're so set. <laughs> exactly. You, you have everything you could possibly need. Um, Hutch, the Razorbacks, another, you know, closer series against Murray State last weekend certainly not making things super easy on themselves but they they keep getting out of it they've had like five comebacks i want to say in the eighth inning or later out of their 10 wins it's ridiculous and 
you know, I, and that's not to take anything away from Murray State or, or SEMO the week before. Those are very quality teams in the OVC, the Ohio Valley, which generally has some good baseball. Uh, so that it, it is some decent competition. You know, obviously they had the, the three ranked Texas schools to begin the year, and that's where they had two of their comebacks. Uh, but, yeah, they, they aren't making it easy on them. Uh, I call them the heart attack hogs uh, because they've just – I mean, there have been multiple times where I've been ready to write, like, all right, first loss of the season. And lo and behold, they may put, put something together in the eighth or ninth inning and, and pull it out. So, uh, But I have a feeling if they try to do that this weekend at Louisiana Tech, it may not work out as favorably for them. When the hogs do get back from Louisiana – uh, they will have more fans in the stands. Uh, Hunter Yurchek announced that they're selling an extra 1,200 tickets uh, to increase capacity to like at least 50% now, I believe. So that's nice. I think that's yeah. a- appropriate, at least. I think it's great. You know, they honestly, the crowds have been pretty good uh, the first couple of weekends at Bomb. Uh, they've been kind of spaced out. I mean, these early season games probably only draw four or so thousand fans anyways. Uh, usually they're just kind of congregated, you know, behind home plate or, you know, something like that. They're a little bit more spread out now. So I guess it, it honestly kind of makes it look like it's even a larger crowd. So, and Dave Van Horn has said that it sounds normal. Uh, and in today's world, normal is, is about as good as you'd hope for. I saw your daughter, your daughter Holly, really enjoyed the game the other day. <laughs> yeah, she, she got to go out to her first game on, I guess it was Sunday. A beautiful day. Uh, she, she really enjoyed it. I think she was most excited about getting to eat the entire game. You know, she's one year old, but she was wanting to eat. You know, my, my wife got a pretzel, so she wanted to eat some of that. Uh, my parents had fries, and she wanted to steal those. It was no cotton like, candy yet? Nope, no, no, Lord, no. She doesn't eat any more sugar or caffeine or anything to, to get her more hyper than she already is. I can't imagine that. So <laughs> We don't know the lineups uh, for this weekend, but we do know the rotation. Uh, Ver- Vermillion's back in there, so tell people what that means. Yeah, so Peyton Paulette's getting the ball game one again. And then Lyle Lockhart is staying in game three. The surprising move was having Zebulon Vermillion back in the rotation for game two, replacing Caleb Bolden. Uh, was a little bit surprising because I kind of thought that Vermillion, you know, he struggled in his first two starts, struggled with his command, walked six guys in seven innings. Uh, he's not a guy that walks a lot of dudes uh, traditionally in his time in Arkansas. Uh, so that was a little bit concerning, uh, but he he looked sharper coming out of the bullpen last week. I thought he would remain there and maybe get a guy like Patrick Wicklander a second start or a first start of the season. Uh, but he's going back with Vermillion. I think he likes his stuff and he's a veteran guy. Uh, I think the I think the veteran aspect of it, you know, matters more than anything. Uh, going down to a place like Louisiana Tech, playing a tough team on the road in a you know pretty good environment. Uh, opposed to a guy maybe like a you know I know a lot of fans are calling for Jackson Wiggins uh, but he's a freshman probably don't want to throw him to the wolves against a team like uh, Louisiana Tech on the road on the weekends I could see him maybe starting a midweek game sometime coming up uh, and then maybe working his way into the rotation that way but I could also see Dave Van Horn saying hey let's just leave him in the bullpen he can be our closer 
you know, if he keeps coming in and getting three up, three down with a couple of strikeouts, then uh, that would be pretty solid to have as a, as a closer as well. Besides the third starter, is there much, you know, left up in question as the Razorbacks, you know, do their last non-conference series before, you know, midweek games? I think the biggest question is in left field. Uh, you know, Braden Webb is a guy that they thought were, was going to be the guy. He's a very good defender, has a very good arm, uh, has hit well in the past and hit well in the preseason leading up to the season, uh, but has really struggled at the plate so far this year. I think he's like one for 16, one for 18 or something like that with like nine strikeouts, uh, really struggling at the plate right now. Uh, so I think he's going to get another shot uh, maybe on, in game one, but we're also probably going to see some Zach Gregory. Uh, he's a guy that is just an on-base machine. He draws a ton of walks. He gets hit by pitches. He gets a hit here and there. Doesn't have a super high batting average, but his on-base percentage is uh, is just is crazy. I don't know how he does it, but he gets on base. Uh, so if, if, if Braden Webb doesn't get it together, which is what – the coaching staff is hoping for, uh, then we may see some more Zach Gregory in that spot moving forward. Both the Diamond Hogs and the Hoop Hogs start their Friday games at 6 p.m. So we'll be, you know, having double coverage on the trough, our message board. And so you can kind of flip back and forth to see what's going on if you can't watch both at the same time. And then the Razorbacks got three new commitments in the last five days. They got Parkview running back James Jointer on Saturday. He was the first of two to commit at a joint ceremony. Uh, and then Andrew uh, Chambly from Maumel, the offensive lineman tackle, uh, he also committed. Uh, it was very sweet. There was lots of family there. Everyone was very excited. Dax Courtney, J.J. Hollingsworth, uh, Landon Rogers and Aaron Outley were there as well since they're not enrolled early yet. So um, it was very sweet to be there and to see James Jointer's mom, who thought he was committing to Utah. She flipped out and started dancing and then hitting James for what he did to her, making, making her think that he was leaving the state. Uh, so that was really, really cute to see. Um, and then yesterday, uh, on Wednesday, the Razorbacks offered Shiloh Christian linebacker Caden Henley at about 2.30. He said his coach called him into his office, had no idea what was happening. Uh, Sam Pittman, Barry Odom, and Michael Scherer were all on the phone, and they offered him. Uh, and then a few hours later, he announced his commitment to the Razorbacks. So he is commit number seven and uh, the fifth in-state commit. Um, that was um, a bit of a surprise, but not really when you think about, uh, you know, Barry Odom's kids are also at Shiloh Christian, so they have a, a, an intimate knowledge of how good Caden Henley is, and he was just a classic, you know, stat, um, like he just racked up stats at Shiloh Christian this past year. He had um, like 106 solo tackles and 26 uh, tackles for loss, four sacks, um, four picks, two forced fumbles, a fumble recovery, and a defensive touchdown. I mean, that's pretty ridiculous. That's like 
Grant Morgan type numbers. Uh, so it's no surprise why uh, Barry Odom and Michael Scherer uh, liked him so much. And I think the timing of it was just kind of like, you know, they had offered Caden Turner at Fayetteville. Uh, they, I guess, decided he wasn't the best fit. He commits to Indiana, and then they feel comfortable, you know, offering another in-state linebacker who is also named Caden, coincidentally. Uh, I thought that was pretty funny. Um, and then also um, a guy like uh, Jordan Crook, he committed uh, to Oklahoma State, and he was a high-priority target uh, down in Texas at linebacker. So I think the way things played out, they were just uh, ready to offer uh, Henley, and I think it's a pretty good fit. He's going to be rated a 5.5 three-star, um, which is you know, par for the course for most in-state uh, Arkansas prospects. Yeah, I mean, it seems like a solid pickup and always, I, I always enjoy seeing the in-state kids, you know, get that offer and, and be able to commit. And yeah, he's probably not the most highly rated guy in the world. As you said, a 5.5, it's on the very low end of the three-star range. Uh, but still, I mean, he's, he's a guy that is from Northwest Arkansas. I, I think you said he's originally from Oklahoma though. So uh, maybe doesn't have the exact same feelings toward the Hogs as, you know, maybe a Grant Morgan or, uh, you know, somebody like that who grew up here, uh, but still a uh, a very solid pickup, I think. And, you know, any as I said, anytime you can keep an in-state kid home, uh, that's, that's a good deal because if he, if he had gotten an offer from some other Power 5 school left of state, you'd have a bunch of people going, oh, what, what the heck happened? Why, why is he going there? Why is he coming to play for Arkansas? Yeah, which is exactly what happened earlier this week when – uh, four-star wide receiver Isaiah Satania committed to Texas A&M instead of the University of Arkansas and many other programs that he was interested in. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Satania is a Texas native. They moved from Austin to Fayetteville because his dad is a, a, a coach um, on the track team, the men's track team. So everyone kind of assumed, oh, perfect fit. He's going to run track. He's going to play football at the University of Arkansas. But surprise, some kids don't want to go to school 10 minutes, five minutes, even two minutes away from where they went to high school and, you know, very close to where your parents lived. So um, I wasn't that surprised. Like once I had heard that that wasn't his dream scenario. Um, I know that he didn't want to go to Texas uh, because, you know, his, his dad obviously isn't a coach there anymore. Sometimes that those situations can create some bad blood, but Texas A&M, Jimbo Fisher has that program very hot right now. And so uh, it's not really a surprise. It's just kind of misleading when people, you know, go look at the in-state rankings. They see Chris Morris, who was a senior transplant from Tennessee, uh, he commits to Texas A&M. Drayden Norwood, who, you know, I don't know why 100%, but Texas A&M is obviously a program uh, with, you know, high recognition in the SEC right now at a time when Arkansas, uh, they're still building back up. So I can see why he would want to leave the state. Um, his, his cousin ended up going to Oklahoma instead of Arkansas. So maybe he just wasn't particularly interested in being a Razorback at that point. But um, 
and then you had Sectania. So that's three guys in a row, you know, all at the top of the in-state list, all leaving and, and picking Texas A&M. So I understand it. But for the most part, kids that were born and raised in the University of Arkansas want to play for the University of Arkansas. And that's exactly um, what James Joyner and Andrew Chamley did, even though both of those guys were highly recruited by other Power Five programs. And that's not Henley's situation, but he told me the longer he's been here, the more he's, um, you know, become a fan of the Razorbacks. And he specifically said it was because of the staff. He loves the staff. And um, you can't win everyone that way. But uh, if you don't have many other Power Five offers, obviously, uh, that's the way to go. Exactly. And I think it's – I think the start of this in-state class right now, I mean, you mentioned Henley, you mentioned uh, Chamley, Chamley, uh, you've got the Jointer, uh, Hollingsworth, uh, Courtney. So that's, that's five. Uh, that's a, that's a pretty good start. Uh, it, it's shaping up that you said there's 10 offers out right now. And obviously a couple of them have committed elsewhere right now, but if they can just get a few more then then you're looking at maybe one of the deepest in-state classes Arkansas has had, uh, since 2015 so these these years don't come along every 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 day so uh good good to see that kind of start so far yeah they only got they only offered and, and got they offered five and got four last year so uh, they're already over that total now with a chance at at least a couple more uh nico davillier from Maumel, the the uh defensive tackle him he's the one i'm not sure on but Robinson, offensive lineman, and Marion Harris, he's a Razorback legacy. I'm surprised he hasn't committed at this point, but I still think that's going to be coming down the line. And then Quincy McAdoo, um, he committed to Florida State really early, has never visited Tallahassee. Uh, he's a four-star, so I know the Razorbacks are still trying to get him. They were still trying to get Isaiah Satania, even though he told them he wasn't going there. So uh, they're still going to pursue you. Um, and I think that as more time passes and now all these commits are, are hounding him, I think McAdoo is, you know, only a matter of time away from a flip from the Seminoles. So that'll look really good to have, you know, seven of the 10. Um, that's a very solid year. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Hogbeat Hour. We will have uh, you know, football coverage tonight because it's the second spring practice. We will have uh, the Hogs versus whoever it might be, Missouri or Georgia, tomorrow on Friday night, and then the Razorbacks versus Louisiana Tech. All of that on the trough and on Hogbeat. Thanks so much. Have a fantastic Razorback sports-filled weekend. <laughs>